Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Our talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome to your post-game Buckeye Talk from Clinton.com. Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means. We are in some kind of lounge in uh, some kind of stadium named for a bank. Ohio State wins 45-31 over Minnesota. We're going to wrap that up for you guys. Just spoke with Ryan Day and the players after the game. 1 a.m. in the East as we record this for Friday morning. We wish this would have happened live in the podcast because it was quite a reaction, but you can go find it on YouTube on our Cleveland.com Ohio State YouTube channel. We got a lot to talk about, Nathan, but we have to talk about the thing first that absolutely flabbergasted me and changed my entire impression of Ryan Day in two seconds. The news of this play from Thursday night. Yes, so uh, Mayan Williams was in for his post-game interview, and Joey Kaufman of the Dispatch asked him a pretty innocuous question about what happened on that play, and it was actually maybe the first or, or maybe even the second or third question that he had received about that play. The play and being the, the 71-yard touchdown run. Correct. The first yes. touchdown of Ohio State season. Correct. And after he'd been asked about it a couple times, Mayan Williams, maybe he felt guilty at that point <laughs> after being asked about this great run because he says, actually – that was the wrong play. I ran the wrong way. I was supposed to run left, which is where we had seen the whole offense and correspondingly the defense kind of all sag to one side of the field on that play, and he ran the other way for a 71-yard touchdown. He admitted that he it was a blown play. He blew it. He just happened to have nobody in front of him thanks to some uh, poor play uh, on the other side of the ball, I thought, by Minnesota's defense, and the rest is history. We, we were not the only people. I saw sports writers who don't cover Ohio State watching at home being like, oh, Ryan Day, oh, schemed it up. And like, but we were also being like, schemed it up. Because there, it's like you overload one side, it was up-tempo, you run the running back the other way, and if he beats one guy, I wouldn't even say he's off to the races because as soon as he did it, people were like, I love Mayan Williams, I told you guys it was going to be awesome. And it's like, no offense to Mayan Williams, I think every running back on this roster would have scored a touchdown yeah. on that play because you had one corner who took an awful angle to beat, and then you were running away from Minnesota defenders who were all on the other side of the field, and someone said, like, is, is Mayan Williams really fast or is Minnesota slow? And it's like, well, Minnesota's slow. It's not a shot at Mayan Williams, but it wasn't like a superhuman Herculean effort. It was like, 
Ryan Day schemed it up, except he didn't scheme it up. Steven, it's not to take away from Ryan Williams. But like, we have to take into context when stuff happens. Like, was there a great block from the line? Was it a great play design? He did his job on that play, and a running back usually has to beat one guy at least, and he did. But, man, it like blows a hole in my belief system about football that that was not Ryan Day offensive. Didn't Steven, we he all assumed it, right? Didn't we all assume it? could have gotten away with saying, yeah, that was a great scheme call because they had been overloading one side the entire drive. They, the first play of the game, they overloaded it, then they motioned Garrett Wilson back to the left, and then they got him the ball. And then they spent the rest of that drive overloading one side. So it made sense that, yeah, in, in the world where we – I think it was this past week, I said Ryan Day's a setup guy. He likes to set things up. Mm-hmm. He set it up. He literally set up a 71-yard touchdown run. And then Mayan Williams, he just ran the wrong play but then ruined it. They could have kept that a secret. But, yeah, I, I said it in a video, and I'll say it again. Mayan Williams is very good at taking what the lo- the offensive line gives him. If the offensive line is going to give him seven yards, he's going to take those seven yards. If they give him 71 yards and he runs the wrong way, well, you get a 71-yard touchdown. But he, it, there weren't a lot of opportunities today in the small amount that he had where he turned a seven-yard gain into a – 13-yard game or, or something that was maybe only going to go three yards and he went seven yards on that play. There is a running back on the roster who, who however, did do that, and he wears number 32, and that's Trevion Henderson. Earlier this week, we did an, a, a podcast talking about like breaking down what the Ohio State offense is going to look like, or maybe it was last week, what the Ohio State offense is going to look like with C.J. Stroud at quarterback, and I went back and watched the 2019 season opener against Florida Atlantic to show how Justin Fields, how Ryan Day put him in advantageous situations by playing off of leverage, by using motion, all these other things. And I'm like, oh, what a perfect example of that. He just did the same thing with Mayan Williams, except no, he didn't. I did. Th- I thought Mayan Williams' best run of the night actually was a 14-yarder right after Minnesota scored in the fourth quarter to cut it to 38-31. And they came out at the 25-yard line. They handed it to Mayan Williams on first down, and there wasn't a ton there. And he did break tackles yep. and do a bunch of stuff on his own and get a 14-yard gain, and then the next play is a 61-yard touchdown pass to Chris Olave. But if Mayan Williams comes out and gets stopped for a two-yard gain there, maybe they can't call that play on the next play. So I did think in that moment he he really did his job. He had the 71-yarder. I'm trying to look for it. He had another long run where he just kind of had a gigantic hole. I think, as you said it, Nathan, it was like the whole M in the yep. middle of the field was open. Um, and he took advantage of one of those. And listen, I mean, it's easy to say like, oh, well, you just ran through the hole. Well, sometimes guys – Still don't do a good job with that. I just thought, and listen, we're, we we didn't take any tech subscriber questions for this because it was like the middle of the night by the time the game ended, and we know what you're asking about because we were following it during the game. Some people were really excited about Mayan Williams after the 71-yard run, and I thought that was a little, you know. Premature. He, he's not a Heisman candidate because he ran 71 yards when, like, there was nobody there. Mm-hmm. Um I think we all think Trayvon Henderson's a better back. And and I think, Nathan, we talked about this sort of specifically on the pod. We thought very possibly that the first deal is, is it Master or Mayan? Figure that out. Pick one. And then that guy will be the guy who kind of shares it with Trayvon Henderson in the long run one way or the other. Do you feel like that happened Tonight, the first part of that equation. I think it probably did, yeah. I mean, the coaches will evaluate this in a, with their scrutiny of the tape in the week ahead. But from, from what I saw tonight, I just see a different bounce and wiggle from Mayan Williams, a different sort of awareness on the field than I see from Master Teague, who I think is a very good football player. But it, it, I think the proof is a little bit in the pudding. Now, yes, 
he he was in some advantageous situations. As I pointed out in our postgame video, the 71-yard touchdown run that Mike Williams had tonight was the longest one by an Ohio State running back since Master Teague had a 73-yard touchdown run. Uh, I don't remember if it was Northwestern last season or 2019. 2019, yeah, the game out of Jones kind of flashed. Yeah, so, I mean, it's it, he's done that sort of thing, too, where the, the, the offensive line flattens the guys in front of him and he's got nobody in front of him. He can run it. Like, Master Teague can do that. But when you start talking about the guys who can be explosive in a way that Minnesota's guys can't, Mayan Williams is closer to that, but Trevin Henderson is. Uh, we saw it tonight on that on that screenplay. That was a more impressive um, play, I thought, than what Mayan Williams did. And I think we we are seeing the groundwork being laid. There, you can't go in. How many times did he touch the ball tonight, Trevin Henderson? Three, five, three, three times. Three times for whatever it was, eighty-five yards. Like he he's got to touch the ball a whole lot more than three times next week. What this comes down to is, for one, put put into context, Teague's run in twenty nineteen that was against third stringers in the fourth quarter, where Dewan Jones basically created the biggest hole ever. That's true. And with my so I mine Williams is, was the first drive of the game where you have a fresh defensive line that he's going against in that one. But we all know it, it was showed today. Travion Henderson's first run went for a first down where he created some of that, and even with the, the screen pass that he took for what 70 yards on that screen pass he made some moves to make that happen as well so if, if you had to rank guys of who is the best playmaker of the, that three it's Travion Henderson then it's a gap and then it's Mayan Williams and then it's another gap and then it's Master Teague 26 carries 201 total yards for the rushing attack 7.7 yards per carry Mayan Williams 9 for 125 Master Teague 6 for 29 Marcus Crowley which is mostly late 6 for 19 Trayvon Henderson, 2 for 15. C.J. Stroud, not super involved in the run game, 3 for 13. I just think, I think that's what we're going to get to, and I think, we'll get, I think we might get it to, it to it next week. I don't think we're jumping the gun, and I think that could be a pretty effective one-two punch, whatever that is, whether it's between, between Mayan Williams and, and Trayvon Henderson, whether that's 50-50, whether it's 65-35. I could imagine this week... Mine Williams got the first drive, Master T got the second, Trevor Henderson got the third, and they kind of rotated that. I, I, I could imagine Mine Williams gets the first drive next week, Trevor Henderson gets the second, and they rotate that way. Steven, you're kind of – is that what you would guess? I mean, there's what we would do. We'd give the ball to Trevor Henderson 30 times right now. Is that what you would guess the offense does against Oregon next week? I, I would guess that. Honestly, I know – yes, we all would love to give the ball to Trevor Henderson 30 times, but I – I think that's what I would do next week, too, because you do have a long season and you want to get these running backs through it, especially Travion. If you feel like once you get Big Ten Championship playoff mode, he might be able to explode. I'm all for the Maya Williams gets first series, Travion Henderson gets the second series, and it's just kind of like that in the first half. And then once you get to the second half where maybe things are close because Oregon's better than Minnesota, you go, okay, which one of these two guys is better? They basically split things for 30 minutes, and one of these guys is going to get the ball the other 30 minutes the entire time. I mean, tonight it was 25 touches for the backfield guys, not counting C.J. Stroud, uh, when you include a reception each for Henderson and Crowley, and Henderson got three of those. I mean, he's got to be more like, what, 10, 12 touches next week, don't you think? Yes. Yeah. I 
But that I, sounds I'd be about shocked. right. I'd be shocked if Teague wasn't still involved in some way. I think some of this is what, what was the time? I would not be. I would not be shocked if he's not involved. Minnesota also. I mean, we talked about time of possession during the week. Basically, forty to twenty is thirty-eight minutes and forty-one seconds to twenty-one minutes and nineteen seconds. Some of that is just Ohio State just barely was on offense, so that maybe the the rushing attempts are a little off than what they're going to be for the rest of the season. Yeah, that's that's true too. They still ran it more than they threw it. Yeah. Um, but yes, they Minnesota held the ball as we knew they would, and Ohio State scored in big chunks, which it's hard to pile up long drives where guys get lots of carries when you're throwing 61-yard touchdown passes to Chris Olave, and Mayan Williams is running for 70, and Trayvon Henderson's taking the screen for 70. All right, we'll take a quick break. We want to do the receivers. We, of course, are going to get into C.J. Stroud, and we're going to get into what I'm sure you guys have some concerns or questions about the defensive side of the ball. We'll do all that next on Buckeye Talk. Doug Nathan Steven, texts were flying during the game, 614-350-3315. Hope you guys who are tech subscribers enjoyed it. We always try to strike the right balance. I mean, you're watching the game. We're watching the game. We're trying to give you stuff that's not obvious. We don't know what they're saying on TV. Joel's good. I'm sure Joel said good stuff. Gus is good. I'm sure Gus said good stuff. But we hope we supplement that, 614-350-3315. 11 targets for Garrett Wilson. Six targets for Chris Olave. Two targets for Jackson Smith and the Jigba. And, Stephen, as you said, you think the the other receivers got in for a snap at the end of the game? Yeah, I just happened to be trying to go through my story and make sure I didn't have any mistakes in it. And I look up and I see Marvin Harrison's in the game. I'm like, huh, I wonder if the other two. Yep, there they go. It's basically the last two or three, maybe even one snap. There were C.J. Stroud is still out there because you're just trying to get him reps, but, and they're just running the ball. But the, the second-string wide receivers did play today, and the rotation was 75 snaps to one. I did. I was standing in the hallway after the game, and uh, I think Marvin Harrison Jr. came by with a defensive player, and Marvin was saying something to the defensive player, and the defensive player was like, "Yeah, I didn't get in," and he was like, "Did you get in?" And Marvin was like, "Yeah, I got in at the end." You know, it was like you know, but it was like, "Hey, it's Marvin Harrison Jr." <laughs> like everyone was all excited about yeah. you in the spring, and we were asking like, yeah. "What the rotation is going to be?" And as Stephen said, the rotation was nothing. And the other thing that happened though, and and I think we were all curious how this would happen. The idea of, well, you've got to try to take away Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. And does that open stuff up for anybody? And the answer tonight was they don't know how to take Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave away. It doesn't open up anything for anybody else because Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave are just available. So that's where he went. 17 targets, 17 of the 22 throws that C.J. Stroud made were two the two best receivers in college football then combined for nine catches, 197 yards, and three touchdowns. It, it felt like, Nathan, like the Minnesota, you know, Garrett Wilson literally spun his defender in a circle on, on his long touchdown catch early in the third quarter. It wasn't a complicated route. I mean, he ran it smoothly. He made one little outside move and then cut it inside, and the guy was lost, and there was no help. And sometimes when Olave and Wilson get open, it looks so easy that you almost think to yourself, they literally could do that whenever they want to. There must be plays where they don't want to get open because I think they could each have 20 catches. <laughs> it's just, and it's not that easy. We know that. But Nathan, I, I, not that not that Minnesota is the best pass defense that Ohio State's going to face, not by a long shot. Oregon next week's going to be better. As we mentioned, Indiana has some good defensive backs. But man, I just, like Minnesota, because CJ missed some stuff, and we'll get to CJ in the first half. 
But it just felt like it was there, and there wasn't an answer. It's like, yeah, they know. P.J. Flex has been talking about all offseason, how good they are. But just because they knew they were good doesn't mean they could stop. They had any plan to try to slow them down at all. Yeah, people who listen to the pod religiously know that I was highly skeptical that there would be some more even distribution of targets in this offense. It just didn't make any sense to me, and I think that was borne out tonight. I mean, Wilson and Olave rarely left the field and never left the field. I mean, they were just out there the whole time, just like it looked last year. Now, I think that's in anything that resembles a competitive game. That's the way it's going to be. I think you're going to see that pretty much probably beginning to end next week against Oregon. You're going to see that in all the big, big 10 games. Now, against Akron, against uh, Tulsa, who just lost to UC Davis tonight, um, they're going to open it up. You're going to get to see some of those young receivers, so have fun with that. But in any game that matters, that's on the line, you're going to see a lot of Chris Olave and a lot of Garrett Wilson, and it's going to be like it is tonight. I mean, you were seeing them get uh, sort of the, the smaller intermediate stuff, and they were using that in kind of a safety blanket kind of way at times for C.J. Stroud, just get the ball out on the perimeter into those guys' hands, but then you saw him hit those guys deep. I mean, they have... Uh, Wilson had a 56-yard uh, touchdown. Olave had a 61-yard touchdown. Like, the explosiveness is there. And also just kind of that get the ball in their hands and let them do something underneath was there, too. I think those are both going to be huge components of this offense. I think Garrett had 11 targets, and he only caught five of them. And, like, he dropped some balls. And some of it, CJ was a little inaccurate today, but he also dropped some balls. He dropped the first deep ball. He dropped a couple other ones where, quite frankly, and I, everybody knows I love Garrett Wilson, but at the same time, you're a top 10 wide receiver pick in the NFL draft, and he missed some. He dropped some balls that if you're a top 10 pick in the NFL draft, you need to catch. What, what others did he drop? He, and even, though, even that deep one, I wouldn't call that a drop. It, it, it he was, had to go full extension He maybe for that. could have caught it, but I don't I – don't. I think – maybe I'm holding him to a standard that he's already set for himself, but just we've seen him catch the, the routinely – catch passes like that even if he has when they were thrown by justin fields like i think that throw from cj stroud was he didn't put enough air under that and let wilson get to it and wilson had to make like a full extension dive for it and just couldn't i did think cj missed him a couple times i'm just trying i'm trying to think because again like to your point 11 targets five catches you would you know you would like to connect a little more often on that and we knew that and we we Brian Hartline talked about that in the spring, and we talked about that as well uh, plenty of times where these wide receivers are going to have to make C.J. Stroud look better than he is sometimes. And those are opportunities where that has to happen because you two are the two best wide receivers in the country. So I'll say that first. Two, Chris Olave has clearly been working on what he does with the ball after the catch because those weren't – a lot of times with Justin, it was just catch, and he's in the end zone already. Yep. These were catches at, like, the 20-yard line, and then Chris Olave creating. That's new and something he clearly wanted to work on, which we talked about last year where, one, he was having some problems holding on to the ball, but then also that wasn't a strength of his. It's clearly a strength of his now. Three, I think I think you're right. Yeah, Chris and Garrett are going to get the most of the, the catches, but I think some of this is the drop and then the pick. You saw some things change with CJ, and he had to recalibrate some things. He, they didn't throw over the middle as much anymore after mm-hmm. some of that stuff. And so that takes away Jackson's sent the Jigmas targets because he's in the slot where they go over the middle some of, a lot of the time. So he, CJ's got to get better at that because they can't just not go over the middle anymore. There was a route that we all saw that Garrett Wilson was open on the sideline and at the same time, Jackson Smith and Jigba was open down the middle of the field, mm-hmm. and CJ went to Garrett and missed him. And Jackson Smith and Jigba did one of those things where, like, not to like show up your quarterback, just kind of like at the end oh, of the route, kind of hopped, like, "Oh man!" Like if and if you, you and like you didn't see me, like next time, yeah, make sure you're thinking about. And it. And even if Garrett catches that, it's like, yeah, that's a great gain. Jackson probably scores. 
And it's a matter of CJ. I mean, it's not surprising that a guy making his first start leans toward the two veteran receivers either. That that's I think also contributes to. Now, listen, they're going to be the first and second reads on most of the stuff anyway. But uh, and Garrett's probably the first read on that, and that he didn't. He never came off Garrett because Garrett was open, and so mm-hmm. he didn't get the Jackson. But that he's more more comfortable with Wilson and Olave is not a surprise early on. Um, we will have to see how that distribution goes, but I just Oregon will do better. They they have a, they have an all Pac-12 first team corner on one side, and a pretty high recruit who I think is going to start on the other side. Um, they got some linebackers that are, are decent, and I think would not be as big of a mismatch against some of Ohio State's receivers. It'd still be not a favorable, but if it, if it happens, they can maybe hang a little bit better. And you've also got Thibodeau storming down at you all the time and it, it did not feel that like cj was under much pressure tonight and no, he will, they will get more pressure yeah um next week certainly so so it will get more difficult next week but they just in the end cj missed a, missed him a couple times early and then when he found him in the second half there was just nothing minnesota could do about that so again it's mostly about the distribution and it's again i don't it's one of those things like we just because a coach says something and we try to tell you guys something like this sometimes like just because they say something doesn't mean it's true doesn't mean it's going to happen like ryan they, they've they specifically said oh we're going to rotate at receivers like they named well, all six wide receivers on monday i mean they didn't they just i mean like that was i'm not saying that was a lie but that didn't happen so and we don't care if you rotate against tulsa that's not the question the question is not how many it's it's when it matters how are you gonna because guess what they rotated at running back they mm-hmm. rotated at linebacker they rotated at corner they rotated a lot of places, but they but, didn't rotate at the place where they specifically said they were going to rotate. If they had a Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson of cornerbacks, they weren't going to rotate there. If they had a Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave of linebackers, they weren't going to rotate there. But they have that at receiver. They don't have that at really any other position except the offensive line and maybe defensive end right now. The problem is that, yes, they're, yes, they're awesome. But they've talked at length. Everybody in the country has talked at length about how deep this room is. So you... You can you you listen whether you believe it or not you'll hear it when they say they might go six deep because they legitimately could go six deep if they wanted to. I don't think they say this room is deep in the same way they say this room is talented, but it's still very top heavy on talent. When the, the combination of talent now, and experience that well, Olivia Wilson has, it's top heavy on experience. Yeah. I mean, they have the number one receiver in the twenty twenty class and number one receiver in the twenty twenty one class. Right, the and, then the son, and then the but, son of a Hall of Famer. That's the three guys okay, who take the snaps. But Garrett Wilson is a more refined version of talent than those guys. Well, but also because Garrett Wilson got a chance to play when he was a freshman and right. sophomore, and Julian Fleming hasn't. So, I mean, there were pe- people that are writing, like, here comes Julian Fleming. Mm-hmm. Here's the breakout. Finally, his chance is coming. He didn't play. Mm-hmm. He, uh, like, he didn't play. He was the number one receiver in the country. He's a sophomore now. It's normal for sophomores to play. He didn't play. So... We understand that Chris Olave is great, but also he didn't play. And that's was, not that is not the impression that they gave us. The version of that story that was written for Cleveland.com didn't say he's going to play. It said all those things that, yes, he's healthy and he's coming, and he's still behind Chris Olave as the Z receiver. Uh, Steven, were you a little surprised that – because we get it, Olave and Wilson, but Jackson Smith, the Jigba, is not, as all, is not as established as those guys are. Uh, we kind of maybe thought, well, maybe a Mecca Buko – Will will get in more of a slot rotation, and then they'll rotate on the outside. But but he didn't get they they kept those I, three guys all together. I he thought did. it'd be four, at least. I think I I said it multiple times. Maybe the rotation is something like 
depending on if Jackson's not on the field, depending on who's better between Marvin Harrison and Emeka Buka, when Jackson comes off the field, Garrett goes in the slot and Marvin Harrison goes to the X receiver, or Garrett just strictly stays outside and Emeka and Jackson just rotate. That didn't happen at all. And I think I leaned over you, Nathan. At the end of the, I thought we get to the third series, we might see something. We might see a change. Mm-hmm. Maybe not all of them come off the field, or maybe it's a rotation where – Either Garrett or Chris is on the field at all times. One of those two. And when you start rotating, it's either both of them or one of them. And you see some rotation. We saw none of that. It was just, and maybe it was some of that was because of the way the game was going. Maybe you wanted to stay with the guy CJ was comfortable with because he was struggling early. But we saw nothing of a rotation. It was just those three guys the entire night with the targets going to Chris and Garrett and Jackson just being a slot version of what Jamison Williams was last year. I think if you take either of those guys off the field, you better have a, a really, really, really darn good reason right now in, in a game that's competitive at all. I just, I don't, I don't see the point. I mean, I know what you're saying about, you know, those guys needing to, those younger guys getting the, their chance and, and develop, but it, it's a different scenario. The Garrett Wilson didn't have a Garrett Wilson in front of him. He had like Ben Victor and Austin Mack and those guys. No, in front but, of but him again, but we're, not, we're talking about Justin Smith and Jigman now. Like he didn't come off the field. How come right. he doesn't? How come yeah, he doesn't? I, the field but I thought, I thought uh, actually when, again, you, it's that parsing what they say and what they mean. But when Brian Hartline was like going out of his way to talk about how great Jackson Smith and Jigma is as a blocker. I bet he probably doesn't talk about Emeka no, Buka the same way. And I think that as much as this team wants to run the ball well, I think you're going to see a lot of Jackson Smith and Jigba because I think they value what he does in that part of the game. I think it's fair to say Garrett played because he had Ben Victor in front of him, but he doesn't have Ben Victor behind him either. He's got potentially another Garrett Wilson behind him. Well, and, But usually, you know, sports writers like uh, offense. Usually when a young skill player doesn't play, blocking is part of it. So it's like, yeah. why doesn't Trevor Henderson? Yep. Then might be yep. like, well, because if they blitz, the quarterback's going to get killed if Trayvon Henderson's in the game because yeah. Mayan Williams' blitz pickup is a hundred times better. Now I'm not yep. saying that's true, but like that might be true. But like right. I don't, I don't care. Especially in the slot, too, I don't where care. Like you're that but, much closer to the quarterback, and it might be a linebacker blitzing or a safety or a slot corner. And you're just called on it sometimes. You're like in, you're in the the, the field of play. Sometimes you're that slot guy's got to like seal the edge for the running yeah. back to get outside. So w- we get it. That that's that's a point well taken. I do want to talk briefly about twelve personnel. We saw it at least there was a drive where they we felt like they went to it, and then they ran play action off of it and tried a deep shot, which is usually what they try to do off twelve personnel, and they hit a lot of stuff to Chris Olave last year they missed it this year but it looked like at least they could do it Cade Stover in the game and you know Cade Stover and Ruckert on the field together and we know that they they like to try to do that sometimes yeah there was an awesome uh, possession where they had Donovan Jackson on the field as tackle eligible and then brought to him and I guess it was Ruckert that he was on the field with across in motion around to the other side um, just some fascinating 12 personnel stuff but it was it was a little bit more sporadic in this game yeah it also shows you where Kay Stover's blocking ability might not be all the way there yet because that last year wouldn't have been tackle eligible. It's just been Luke Farrell. I'm, I'm curious how much more they're going to use that, though. We're going to see some like Donovan Jackson tackle eligible goal line stuff I'm over the course it. of the season. I'm all for it. Get Donovan Jackson on the field any way you can. I definitely also I was keeping track of who was covering on kicks, and there was a 72 running down on kick coverage one time. And I was like, man, are they – is it like Tommy Togiai covering kicks? What's happening? And then I was watching, and it was just that they made Cade Stover wear a 72 because there must have been another 16 no, or whatever. Ryan Watts was probably out there, too. And yeah. they, were, they were like, like 
Cade Stover ran off the field. They were like, get the 72 and yanking it over his head. And I was like, oh, it's not a lineup. But Donovan Jackson was wearing number 41 on that play for the Because then at first it was like it caught us by surprise. We're yeah. doing, you're doing so many things. And we're like, wait, was Josh Proctor just in a tight end in this right. game? Like, what just happened? And then Jerry comes over. He's like, no, That's a better Jake, story. guys, it's, that was Donovan Jackson. <laughs> That's a better story if it's Josh Proctor. Josh, I think it's a pretty good story if it's an offensive lineman. Fair. Josh Proctor, by the way, uh, left the game late. Saw him in the hallway, had a sling on his right arm, walked past Ryan Day. Ryan said, hey, how you doing? And Josh Proctor said, I'll, Coach, I'm good. I'll be ready for next week. Now, he's not a doctor, but that's what the conversation was, was in the hallway uh, about Josh Proctor. All right, before we get to the defense, let's get to C.J. Stroud. 13 of 22 with a pick, four touchdowns, 294 passing yards, three carries for 13 yards. The texts at halftime, 614-350-3315, to paraphrase, went something like this. McCord, 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 oh my God, McCord, McCord, Quinn Ewers, McCord, 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 Quinn Ewers, Kyle McCord, McCord, oh my God, Quinn Ewers, Kyle McCord, 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 McCord. Was that just you texting Quinn Ewers back to them? Um. We were trying to shape. We were trying. <laughs> I mean, it's like you sit in the press box and you make jokes, or whatever. It's like CJ missed stuff. CJ missed stuff in the first half. He missed throws that Justin made last year. And it's like, whoa, well, freshman quarterback missed throws that the number one draft pick made last year. What's going on? And it's well, like, you know, he missed some throws. He looked a little. He was missing. He just he missed throws, and you're just not used to seeing it. And he missed more throws than Justin missed when Justin was playing his first year in 2019. But he explained it. I thought he was very reassuring. And if you were an Ohio State fan that watched the post game news conference or has a chance to see it, I thought that eight minutes with C.J. Stroud was very reassuring because he was very. Up front about like, yeah, like I was nervous. I was rattled. I wasn't. And Steven, you were asking, did you feel like you had to settle down? He's like, yeah, I just had to settle down. And then he did settle down. And then his receivers were open in the second half, but he also made the throws. And we thought sometimes when he made the throws, he still looked like he was trying to maybe place it in there instead of let it go. But it got there. Nathan, I thought he, he, he we could watch him process it on the field and then i thought watching him explain the way he processed it and got through it and came out the other side with 294 passing yards and four touchdowns i was reassured watching cj stroud sort of live through this game when you know i was talking to somebody else after the game and it's like after that first half you didn't know which way it was going to go cuz if he came out now listen they're not going to bench the quarterback in the first game but he could have come out and kept missing Yep. And if he came out and kept missing, they might have lost. Yeah, again, I, at some point in that first half, I remember saying out loud to you guys, it's like this reminds us that Justin Fields did have a whole year of football where he played quarterback in games and through passes in the SEC before he came to Ohio State to be a first-time starter. Like That was a, a very different experience that C.J. Stroud didn't get to have. Now, C.J. Stroud also may just not turn out to be as good as Justin Fields, which is not a knock against him because Justin Fields is a great football player. But I think you just saw the, the difference there in just how refined they are at this relatively similar stage of their careers. I thought you bring up a good point, and I was talking about during the game, that even when he was making completions, they weren't – 
precise enough. They weren't – people, know, I think, know what I'm talking about. Like receivers like to get the ball at a certain place. And like Ryan Day, I'm sure, is telling him, you've got to put that ball at a certain place so the guy can catch it, turn, and go. And there were too many plays. There was a, a kind of a, a thing out in the flats to Garrett Wilson that he had to like jump up for. And again, C.J. Stroud wasn't under duress. He wasn't being – he wasn't under pressure most of this game. Certainly the interception that was thrown was a ball that was high and behind Chris Olave that he barely got a hand on. Actually, if he had never touched it, it probably might have sailed by. But he got a hand on it, tipped it up, and it gets picked off there. Like those were on C.J. Stroud. He was making poor reads, poorly timed throws, and was not playing well. Was he making poor reads? Because he did, he thought he's not re- good, maybe reads is the good right reads, way, but, bad execution. Yeah, I, yeah, I think yeah. he he kind of said no. I thought I saw it. Okay, I thought after the pick he got a little reluctant and maybe wasn't well, seeing some stuff. And, and I do think for in a Ryan Day offense, Ryan Day would rather if you don't if you're not sure of what you see, he wants you to eat it. And yeah. I thought there were times when he wasn't sure of what he was seeing and he tried to scramble or, and then he ended up throwing it out of bounds. And it was like, I think something was there, CJ. You didn't see it. But I don't think he made a lot of throws where he misread it and then threw it and put it in a bad spot. No, I think that's an important point. I, I, you're right. It wasn't necessarily he was making bad reads, but it was that he um, – the, the timing was not there, clearly. Yeah. Like he was just off. And he said – I thought one of the more revealing things he said after the game was, my mind wasn't right. Like he could tell, like in the moment, that like I'm just scrambled a little bit here. Like it's not, I'm I'm not locked in. I'm not on on tune or whatever at, at this moment. But to his credit, you know, one of the things we'd heard about him from Ryan Day, from Brian Hartline, from other people, from his teammates, was that he he kind of figures stuff out. Like he he has some resiliency to him and just some poise in the moment, even when things go bad. And I think we saw that in the second half. I think he was everything that we thought Justin Fields was going to be in 2019, where it's I'm holding it, I'm holding it, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. He is the backfire of when you hold it too long sometimes in that first half. But I think there are some important check marks for why CJ's first half was what it was. He was rolling at first. They came out. I, I didn't get a chance to ask Dan a question, but my questions would have been the fact that you the first play was a throw. He made it a point to, like, all right, we're going to get CJ into this game early. This kid hadn't thrown a pass in two years, so we're going to throw it out the gun. And we're, Even if it's just screen passes or short little things, just to get his rhythm into the game. And he was rolling at first. They missed a deep ball, and then things kind of started going downhill. He starts rolling again, one bad throw, he gets going downhill again. And then he kind of was making bad situations worse is basically what he was doing. And you see coaches a lot will tell you, don't do that. When you make a bad decision, just reset. So they just needed to get him to halftime where it sounds like everybody who was anybody came up to him and said, listen, you're our quarterback. We believe in you. Just calm the freak down. Just calm down. But but so – do we think he was overhyped? I, I don't know that I th- – because he wasn't like – I didn't think he was sailing passes high. I just thought he was inaccurate, mm-hmm. right? He missed throws. Yeah, and just I don't the, the know touch what the, He there. made yeah. normal mistakes for a guy who's a – he made the type of mistakes you would expect for somebody who hasn't thrown a ball in two years and is a first-time starting yes. quarterback. The problem is he is following some guy who never did that. Who never did that even that in we his first, saw. Yeah, that, that we, we saw. saw right. Even – even in like his first year, he was never that inaccurate. And so now that we're giving living back in the normal world of what quarterback play is, we want to freak out. I, I said it to you guys. It was Spencer Rattler-ish. I, I wrote it six months ago. Expect this to look like 2020 Spencer Rattler, where it's not always clean at the beginning of the season, but as the season goes on and gradually gets better and gradually gets better. And now, I mean, Spencer Rattler's in a position where he's a favorite for the Heisman to be the number one pick in the draft. So so he's not Spencer Rattler. No, I'm saying— so, I'm, But I, I don't know that we do him favors by— saying uh, i've done it too 
Spencer Rattler was like the number one quarterback in his class mm-hmm. and is now currently leading, is like the most experienced quarterback in the country and the Heisman favorite. I know what you're saying, but I don't know that he's ever going to be Spencer Rattler. And I don't know if we do him favors by making that comparison because that's part of where I am with him is I don't know exactly what his upside is. And I think some of the things he missed tonight, I wonder if he'll miss them even when he's not rattled and when he's good and when he's in the zone because I don't know if he's as accurate as Justin. I don't know if he's as um, dynamic on the move as some of these other guys. I don't know if he can gunsling it like some of these guys. And so in the idea of every quarterback works it out, yes, and we saw – Spencer Rattler, they lost two of their first three games last year, and then he got it rolling, and they were Oklahoma was really good by the end of the year. Mm-hmm. I just here's 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 part of the point of this. Clemson, Alabama, and Ohio State all have first year quarterbacks this year. I picked Clemson, Alabama to not make the playoff, in part because of that, but I did pick Ohio State to make the playoff, and part of that reason is because. C.J. Stroud was off in the first half tonight, and Ohio State was playing Minnesota. And if D.J. Uyunglele has any growing pains in week one, he's playing Georgia. And if Bryce Young has any growing pains in week one, he's playing Miami. And then after that, he's playing Texas A&M, and he's playing LSU. And I just think all these quarterbacks – I saw someone from PFF tweet this tonight – everybody who's all in on these three teams and are just like, hey, you know – they're Bama, Clemson, and Ohio State. They're just going to roll, man. Like this, I think what we saw tonight was normal, young quarterback mistakes. And I think part of the point is when Spencer Rattler made those mistakes early last year, especially against Iowa State, Iowa State was good enough on both sides of the ball to beat Oklahoma mm-hmm. in that moment. I think the team, especially Clemson in week one against Georgia and then Bama through the length of a tougher SEC schedule – if Bryce Young and DJ Uyunglele make those mistakes, I think their teams might lose because of them. If Ohio State was playing a better team tonight, that instead of being down 14-10 at the half, they might have been down 28-10 at the half, they could have lost, but they didn't. And that's part of why I think Ohio State still can be a playoff team, because I think they're all going to have their bumps, but Ohio State's schedule will allow CJ to work it out more. But also he's got to get it figured out next week against Oregon. But I do think the overall point that I think is right about your Spencer Rattler point, Stephen, is Mm -hmm. this is what young quarterbacks do. Yeah. And nobody is going to be perfect no matter how good you're eventually going to be. And that's the thing I want people to focus on, not what maybe what the in-game product is because we don't know that. Right. We do know that right now it's going to get weird at times. And so I understand. So maybe I'll leave out the extra look what he is now thing. Right. Just focus on the – what was Spencer Rattler the first five weeks of the season last year? C.J. Stroud might look just like that. It doesn't mean it's not going to get better down the line. Or maybe it doesn't. But you bring up D.J. Uyunglele in the same breath as if he and C.J. Stroud are equated right now. And they're not. D.J. Uyunglele went on the road at a playoff team Correct. in Notre Dame last year and played pretty well. So that's the other thing to remember here is that C.J. Stroud brought it up after the game. He got asked about a play where he got kind of knocked down and took a shot to his shoulder. And it was like one of the more moments of levity in his his um, post game where he was like, yeah, man, you know, I haven't played football in two years. And he, you know, he, also, he hasn't done in two years is like have to go off and face a defense that then makes adjustments. 
to right. him. And now he has to react to it. Like he's he's having to read a defense, an opposing defense. It's not guys that he knows and guys he's seen practice before and the defense that he's seen opposed, you know, across from him before. It's a brand new defense of guys who are out to kill him in a different way. And he has to react to that. And just things like that are still he's he's you're going to have to give him some time to figure that out. Some of DJ, though, is coaching philosophy. Outside of the Notre Dame game, they had the plan. Trevor Lawrence couldn't play out of COVID. They made it a point last year to get DJ in the game early in real actual snaps. Mm-hmm. Just because One, because you're not sure. Things happen, and things did happen, and so they had the plan. But also because they knew it was going to be a limited season. But also Clemson just does that. They'll throw a random young guy out there when it's the second quarter and it's a 14-7 game just to get him some experience. Because then what happens is you get to the playoff, and all of a sudden that guy's playing 65 snaps for you and he's making plays for you. Ryan Day's not going to do that. He's, we were never going to get into a situation where – it's the second quarter when Ohio State was up 10 to 7 at one point, and he just throws Kyle McCord out there. If this were Clemson, Dabo might have done that. He might have thrown Kyle McCord out there just for the sake of getting him some experience. So it's, it's both of those things. It's one, DJ was a five star, and TJ's not. But also, one of them plays in a system where your coach is just prone to throw you out there, even if you have no business being on the field at that time. The In the name of constantly trying to find comparisons for CJ, I do think one of the interesting things when I think about recent Ohio State quarterbacks in the first year they played. Dwayne Haskins, the first year he played, he was a third-year player, first of all, and he had some experience. He had come into the Michigan game. Um, They got the ball out of his hands, and they did the bing-bang-boom. And, like, the first drive tonight was a little bing-bang-boom. I mean, they were getting it out of his hands. They threw some bubble screens. They they tried – I mean, they ended up throwing the the actual running back screen to Travion Henderson late in the game. There were moments when they were getting out of CJ's hands pretty quick. But he's not exactly Dwayne. Like, they're not going to do it to that extent. JT Barrett, man, I mean, they just, when the going got rough, they just had him run it. They just turned him into Tim Tebow. And so JT Barrett in a game like this would have had 15 carries tonight. And it's like that, get your juices flowing. JT Barrett was always able to run somebody over and get some yards. Like, they're not going to do that with CJ. So, like, JT kind of always had that as a crutch if he needed it. And then Justin is just an exceptional athlete. He's just exceptional. So CJ's not quite that. So I do think... If he's not getting it out of his hands like Dwayne, if he's not going to lean on the run game like JT, if he's not just a, an absolutely through-the-roof athlete like Justin, then I do think in the end it is a little harder for him because he's not he doesn't quite have a thing. an identity yeah. or whatever. Like what, what is his thing to make his life easy, right? That, that all three of those guys as young quarterbacks, when in doubt, I think they had a thing that could make their life easy themselves. Now – Maybe the thing for C.J. Stroud is Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, and that's what makes it easy. And like J.T. Barrett would – I mean, and J.T. Barrett had Devin Smith and stuff. It's not like those guys didn't have talent, but it's like, well, what What are you talking about? He's got the two best receivers. So so it might be that, but that's – I'm just – I just – it's no fun to be down on – I mean, like, I thought C.J. was great in the postgame press conference. I thought he was very good in the second half. But there are parts of me that wonder, are some of the things that we saw early maybe going to be there beyond being jittery, right? Yep. That Are yep. there some things that he's just not quite the deep ball thrower that Justin is? And if there's a moment where he holds on to it, Stephen, you're talking about every now and then when he holds on to it, it's like, oh, okay. He had a play on a third, I think a third and 12, where he kind of, he didn't, exa- I don't know that he exactly saw it. So he didn't let it go, and then he tried to run it. It was like, well, he ran six yards, and he practically got flipped. Because it's like, well, 
he's not going to run for 12 yards on right. third down because he's not Justin Fields and he's not Terrell Pryor and he's not Braxton Miller. And I just, I still come away as impressed as I am with the way CJ Stroud handled himself. I come away with a couple questions about that. What was it that we saw tonight that was more than game one hesitancy and jitters? I think that's fair to ask. I will say that the, when we talked to the receivers recently about C.J. Stroud, you know, Garrett Wilson went into this whole thing about how he compares him to Russell Wilson for the way that he throws the deep ball. Chris Olave had a lot of good things to say about his, his arm strength and his arm talent. So it makes me think that they have seen it mm-hmm. under controlled conditions and under familiar conditions and not the same threat that you have from a, a true opposing defense. They have seen it. So that kind of on the flip side of what you're talking about, it makes me wonder that as he gets just – um, comfortable in his own skin out on a football field again if some of that starts to come through in a real way. The problem is he didn't have a preseason game, quote-unquote. Yep. You know, if they would have played Tulsa this week and he'd have had a game where he was 21 of 25 because it's Tulsa and 285 yards and four touchdowns, and it's like, all right, he's in the group. And then he comes out here in this environment and does this. Maybe the first half doesn't look right how it does. Or maybe it does look the way it does, and now we have a better read on things because we've seen it for two games, so we have an idea of what he is as a quarterback. But because he got thrown right into the fire and it doesn't get any easier next week, now it's we're, we're going to have two straight weeks of wondering – is this how it's going to look at the end of the season? Because we don't get to see it at its best. I just think we're, in the end, we're somewhere between everybody wanting to play the backup quarterback at halftime and, hey, everything's good. Mm -hmm. He hit a bunch of wide-open guys in the second half against a Minnesota secondary that never really had a chance, right? Right. That there's a reality that's somewhere in between there. Don't... You know, it's fun to overreact in the moment. I'm not making fun of anybody overreacting because it did not look great at times in the first half. But let's make sure we don't overreact the other way and think like, well, that's it. Good to go. No quarterback issues for Ohio State this year because he's going to be 100% awesome. But I thought I thought the way he handled himself and talked about how he fought through it was enlightening and it gave you a peek at sort of what we all talked about in the preseason, that it's not just arm talent. It's what Ryan Day is looking for in a quarterback. And I thought we got a little glimpse of that in the way C.J. Stroud processed his first start as a college football quarterback. All right, I know you guys want us to talk about the defense. We'll do that next on Buckeye Talk. Doug Nathan Steven, shout out to Anthony and Brittany, who said hello in the uh, TSA line at the Columbus Airport, Buckeye Talk listeners. Um, So thanks for listening. Nathan, uh, what is uh, the level of concern from the defense? I know there is, I'm sure, among our listeners and our tech subscribers or our readers right now, there's a Kerry Combs conversation. There's a secondary conversation. There might be a linebacker conversation. I don't know what they think about the defensive line. I thought maybe there were some opportunities. Zach Harrison made one ginormous kind of Miles Garrett-like strip sack play that frankly helped change the game and sometimes if you're an edge rusher and you can do that once in a game and it equals seven points you did your job that game so Zach Harrison did that you don't have to get a sack on every drive where are we with the defense coming away from this game Nathan I don't know that I can come out of this game and make any declarations about this defense. I mean, we they're down two starting corners that we expected to be in there. Cam Brown didn't make the trip. Seven Banks was here. Looked like he wanted to be out there on the field and play, but they 
didn't feel he was ready to go. Uh, we'll see if he's ready to go next week against Oregon. But that's a guy that is getting mentioned as a potential first-round NFL draft pick by some people and is not able to play tonight. So you're starting a true freshman and a redshirt freshman who had, had barely played before. Um, you've got a situation where you're thin on the defensive line because John Cage can't play. You've got all these linebackers that are kind of swirling in and out of there over the course of a game. I don't think they know who their best two linebackers are yet or their best three linebackers. I think they are still sorting that out, and there may still be some guys who are a little banged up there. So I I don't come out of this game with like any declaration uh, towards Kerry Combs or towards really some of these individual players because we still don't we still haven't seen this defense at its full capacity because they were missing multiple guys who should have been on the field tonight. I don't think the scheme was bad. I think the personnel was bad. And the execution was bad at times. There was Scheme isn't the reason why you miss tackles. They were in position to make these tackles. They just didn't make the tackles. Scheme is not why you got beat at the line of scrimmage and you gave up a touchdown or you lost a jump ball. That's Scheme is not why. I mean, they were turning and looking for the ball. So it wasn't like it was bad technique being taught that led to some of these pass interference calls. Scheme is not why you get a pass, roughing the passer call that takes away a, a, a momentum swinging interception that turns into a 14-point swing for Minnesota. That's they got to figure out who their best 11 is and start to roll with that. Maybe it's hard to do that when you're missing guys because of unavailability and some and some injuries or whatnot, but you got to figure out who your best 11 is because right now rolling out 25 different guys on defense isn't getting the job done. Well, that's how you figure out who your best 11 are, though. I don't think you can't just arbitrarily pick 11 guys and stick with them no matter what. I think they're trying to figure out who their best 11 guys are. Did, did Ryan Day basically say that, that like they yeah. really yeah. don't exactly know yet? Yeah. yeah. Do do we believe that? Like again, the things that like I things think what you saw on the field tells you that they yeah. believe that. I mean, I mean it's, it's I, I and um, especially given the opponent. Yeah, yeah, and and um, you're right. I think defensively, this has to be a better performance. There was definitely though some undisciplined plays. If you take away the bad, the missed tackle that Legend Cavazos had on the fourth and one play that went for like a 56-yard gain. Right. Take away that play. The one that led to his, his coverage on the touchdown in the end zone after that, as you pointed out, Doug, wasn't really terrible. I think he just got beat by, by a good a player. player. Um, but it was the run that led to that that was the problem. Now, they were going to get a first down anyway, but his missed tackle made that a blow-up. Um, and then the roughing the passer on Dallas Gant when they should have got off the field. Um, oh, actually, it, was the, it led to the Josh Proctor interception that wasn't an interception. That might have been a 14-point swing. Like For people who are out there who are really melting down about the defense, just take those two plays away and think of how different this game looks. The Dallas Gant thing is tough. I mean, it's, you, it's the way the game is called. Stuff like that happens. You just can't do it. You know, Dallas Gantt didn't rough the passer on purpose, but you just can't get near the quarterback's head in any situation. And and again, not to like, I mean, that was just an awful throw by Tanner Morgan, oh, who I really? actually thought might be better tonight than he was. I did not think he was that good. Um, there were a couple drives where he made a couple throws. I thought they would try some more stuff in the middle of the field, and they did at times, and sometimes it worked, and I thought, why don't they do that more? They really fell in love with the run game. They really wanted to work the clock. As Steven mentioned early on, 40 to 20 time of possession. We knew that coming in. They wanted to do that. But I thought they, especially when they saw that Ohio State's two best outside corners weren't playing, um, I'm surprised they didn't try a little more stuff to try to beat some of these corners on the move. But regardless, you know, that was so it's like it was a gift interception. It just he dumped it in Josh Proctor's breadbasket, but Josh Proctor caught it, made the play, and had a nice run down the sideline. I got taken away by that. 
it's I think your point, Stephen, it's like you just looked out there sometimes at the 11 guys on the field. And again, seven banks and Cam Brown did not play and they will play. And they're supposed to be the two best corners. But sometimes, Stephen, you looked out there and you're like, man, like that's Ohio State's defense, like in a Big Ten game where they're losing right now. And those are the 11 guys on the field. Huh. That feels like a half step short of the talent standard that we're used to seeing around here. And it's, I mean, they raved about, they've been raving about Denzel Burke since he showed up as an early enrollee. And that's fine as a depth guy. Not, (laughs) he's still a true freshman. You don't ever want a true freshman starting at corner. I don't care how good he is. And there's reasons for that because if he makes a mistake, it typically equals points, which is what Kerry Combs said 12 months ago when we were begging him to put some true freshmen on the field. You don't want to do that. Ryan Watch was okay tonight, but it's it, he would have been better if he was like the third corner and not the first corner. Legend Cavazos gave off some Damon Arnett vibes it's, where it's going to be some high moments, but it's also going to be some moments where it's going to be some pass interference call. And even in the linebacker room, I think Tommy Erickenberg started out really well, but then he had some moments where he missed some tackles. Uh, Cody Simon flashed with that blitzing. They sent a lot of linebacker blitzes tonight at, just at first glance at that, and Cody Simon had the first sack. He was okay, but he wasn't great tonight. Taraja Mitchell had some drives where he was all over the field, and then he had some drives where I forgot he was out there. My outrage prediction was like, I think, 12 tackles for Taraj Mitchell. He had 10, but he was not the leading tackler. Ronnie Ronnie Hickman, 11 tackles, led the way. Two sacks. And again, last year we talked a lot about getting home, getting home. And again, there I thought, you know, I don't. Minnesota was not going to have Tanner Morgan stand back there for seven seconds and and just stand there. They attempted 25 passes. Yeah. That's also, they had a lot lot of opportunities. He had a lot of screen passes, especially early on, which they kind of abandoned. Uh, Tom, Ty Hamilton like broke up one where he yep. opened up had an interception, but I thought it was a great drawn-up play, which is a great play by Ty Hamilton. They kind of abandoned that screen game, which, I mean, they were getting after the quarterback. They just, I mean, <laughs> they just weren't getting home. But they were getting after him. I thought that Minnesota would start doing more of that stuff, especially once Ohio State's offense started rolling a little bit in the second half. They didn't go back to it. Two sacks. One's the Zach Harrison game-changing strip sack that leads to the fumble that Haskell Garrett recovers and runs back for a touchdown. The other one's a Cody Simon sack on a blitz to end the first half when they blitz to Roger Mitchell and Cody Simon up the middle and forced the pressure and got a sack and ended Minnesota when they were trying to still do something at the end of the half. I thought, again, watching Minnesota-Wisconsin at the end of last year, I thought there were some opportunities maybe to try a few more of those linebacker blitzes, Nathan. But to your point, Minnesota didn't throw it a ton. Again, I don't know that we have a great read on it, and you have to take into account the guys that didn't play. But I don't know that it soothed anybody. If you were an Ohio State fan that came in with some concerns about the defense – I don't know that they were vanquished by what we saw tonight. No, I think that's fair. I, I still, though, like, I'm wondering about the cornerback situation. Like, I said this to you before the game. Like, I think if Cam Brown were out for an extended period of time, that by the time we're, like, three or four weeks into this thing, I mean, Dental Burke had three pass breakups tonight. He did. Now, they went after them a lot. They went after the young corners, uh, as they should. But, like, now if you put, like, seven banks back on the field next week – for the majority of the game, and now these all these freshman corners only have to play like they're splitting up like half of the game instead of like the two of them or three three or four of them playing the whole thing. Like I don't know, that starts to form and that's where you're doing like the old Kerry Combs thing of like taking two or three guys and making them one and getting like in theory the most out of all three of those guys and turning them into one position. Like that, I start to buy a little bit, and I think that there is a ceiling of talent that some of these guys have. That even though Cam Brown has more experience, I still don't know that I 
am convinced that he is the second best cornerback on this team in terms of talent. And mm. those guys could just be better. I think what might help with that is the only two quarterbacks on the rest of their their schedule who might be able to take advantage of what they have going on right now are Talia Tungavailoa and Maryland has one weapon, and Raheem Jarrett, and then Michael Penix. And they there's like like five games and a bye week before they have to play them. So I, I yep. would agree with that. That we'll see Denzel Burke get better. We'll see Ryan Watts get better. Of all the things that Oregon might do next week, like challenge the secondary with a great passing game, it's not at the top of the list. No, but if it, the bigger problem, I think, is if Proctor can't play. I think it's that's a potential huge problem against Oregon because they've got two running backs who are elusive and fast and talented. And now if you miss a tackle at the second level, it's a potential catastrophe. And again, he said, Coach, I'll be ready next week. So, I mean, he wasn't... He was while he was in a sling. While he was in a sling, but I mean, like Ryan Day didn't say, "Hey, how you doing?" And he didn't say, "Oh, it hurts so much." Like he yeah. said, "Oh, coach, I'll be fine." And so, he could have told the truth in that moment. He didn't know you were standing right there, or maybe yeah, no, yeah, 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 yeah. I was being, uh, I just like blended into the background. It was me at my reporting best. Um, so yeah, it's it's hard. And like last year, all we wanted them to do was play some younger corners. And then tonight they played some younger corners, and we're like. Oh. These younger corners are very good. <laughs> What's going on? So it's like, I mean, if you're going to play Denzel Burke, who's a true freshman, and Ryan Watson, Legend Cavazos, who were second-year guys who barely played last year, like they're not going to be Marshawn Lattimore and Jeff Okuda the first time they take the field. So they also might have been, I mean, if Ryan Day said, hey, if it was an emergency, seven banks could have played, maybe he didn't think it was the worst thing in the world in a game where they're pretty sure, they're 99% sure they're going to win, they're okay. Let these guys work it out a little bit because we would like to see if maybe they can be good. But again, context is important. Last year, we were watching defensive backs not make plays and saying, mm-hmm. well, shouldn't they be trying somebody younger? That's different than if the guys who we expect to be able to go down and make the plays aren't even able to play. True. Yeah. But what we think, I mean, in the long run, if some of the young, t- and they raved about Denzel Burke all camp. Yeah. So then Denzel Burke got out there and played. So, like, that's a guy I think they want to see what he can do. And, again, to the point of, hey, the secondary wasn't going to be wasn't good enough last year. What are they bringing back? Oh, like the whole same, same secondary minus Sean Wade. We didn't know how Marcus Williams, how Marcus Williamson was going to fit in in that cover safety spot where Cam Martinez, Lathan Ransom, and Marcus Williamson all seemed like options. Steven, it's Lathan Ransom. Yeah. He played basically the whole – the whole game. I don't know that Cam Martinez played at all, and Marcus Williamson played a very little bit. I think Marcus Williamson might have played one drive because they like they went at him deep and he broke it up. I, I I don't know if he broke it up, but it was just an incomplete pass. But other than that, yeah, it was just Lathan Ransom in that role, and he flashed. Obviously, he had the forced fumble that looked like it could have been targeting, but it wasn't. So that's obvious. Um, I I don't know how. I was kind of shocked about the Jack Sawyer not playing thing, but now that I've been sitting here thinking about it, I'm not that shocked that JT played more than Jack Sawyer. It, significantly more. We yeah. did end up seeing Jack Sawyer on the field in the second half, but, I mean, JTT is what, 30 pounds heavier yeah. than Jack Sawyer yeah. and I, against a running team? I was, So, in the story I was writing about Zach Harrison, I was talking to his high school coach, Zeb Trotter. He's talking about, he said, I think the reason why Zach played so much in 2019 is because he came in already really good at stopping the run. If the pass rushing had to catch up, obviously, because he played at Old and Tangy Orange, but he never played elite passing offenses. But he was really good at stopping the run, and that's a good way to get on the field, especially when most of the time you're trying to stop the run anyway. So in a game where you knew they were going to have to stop the run a lot more often, 
you go with the guy who's maybe better at that and a little just more built to do that, and that's JT Tumala. While Jack Sawyer is clearly a guy who we've seen is going to be a hell of a pass rusher here. So maybe when we get to, into some of these games where it's Indiana or Maryland or even maybe next week, even if Oregon's not the passing attack that that you know we've seen in the past, maybe we see Jack Sawyer more against pass rushing teams, but against teams who have great passing offenses, while against other teams, JTT just plays more because he's better at stopping the run right now. Pretty amazing that for for JTT that a guy who didn't wasn't even out of school in July <laughs> showed up thirty and, days ago <laughs> right, playing in a Big Ten game that's a close game. Ten um, seven, Minnesota Minnesota goes ahead. No, yes, no, they're 14, down ten. They, they go fourteen ten. They're yeah. up at halftime. So Ohio State's trailing at halftime. Ohio State scores, then Minnesota scores. So Minnesota's ahead twenty one seventeen. Then Ohio State goes ahead with a couple scores. The big three minutes apart, the Wilson big-time touchdown, the Harrison strip sack. That's two five-stars making plays in a three-minute period in the, in the third quarter. But then to Minnesota's credit, they kick a field goal to cut it to one score. They have the Ohio State has a Trayvon Henderson screen pass to go up two scores. Minnesota comes right back down the field and scores again. Nine-play, nine 75-yard drive. That's the kind of drive that worries you. It's like, okay, hey, look, the 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 – Dynamic five-star freshman just like put this game away, and it's like, oh no, he didn't because the defense gave up a seventy-five-yard drive yep. in four minutes, like right after it, and did not put it away at all. And then Chris Olave had to score another touchdown to put it away. Nathan, did you think Ohio State might lose at some point? Oh, I thought they could lose. Certainly, yeah. I mean, they're down. They're down at halftime, and they didn't have. Again, we've. I feel like we're repeating ourselves a little bit, but the last two years when they've been in situations like that. You thought, okay, 2019, they have that defense that's probably going to come out and just stifle anybody, uh, which happened against Wisconsin in the Big Ten Championship game. In 2020, they had Justin Fields, who could go out and create things in a way that C.J. Stroud can't yet. So they always had these things in their back pocket that they could fall back on. And tonight, especially the way C.J. Stroud was playing in the first half, I, I thought that... Yeah, they seem very vulnerable. I think what they got back to a little bit in the second half was they found that explosive play that they could always just come up with. And they shut off the thing that was killing them. I mean, yes, a ninety a seventy-five play seventy-five yard nine play drive is touchdown is not good. But what was worse was when Ohio State was like giving Minnesota its explosive plays. Like it was not that weren't explosive in terms of yardage, but they were explosive in terms of what I think they were doing to the psyche of that defense. And that was like again that blown tackle that leads to a big run, the the roughing the passer penalty. Like they were giving Minnesota uh, chances to flip the field, chances to flip momentum that Minnesota wasn't creating for itself. Once it kind of closed that off, then it opened the door for what ultimately the second half was. I mean, C.J. Stroud came in and he was like, uh, boy, you know what what Minnesota was doing with the time of possession? Like, that's crazy. Like, they just don't Don't give you any chance. And then (laughs) they scored in the first five minutes of the second, five minutes of of play, of possession that Ohio State had in the second half. It scored 35 points. It scored a touchdown a minute in the first five minutes that it had the ball in the second half. Minnesota wasn't aggressive with the play calling night, obviously 40 to 20 time of possession. I think there was one drive where they should have been aggressive. Aggressive is not a word. Aggressive. And that's when they got the ball back with, what, like three minutes left in the first half. And it's 14 to 10. Ohio State just did nothing with the drive. It was a three and out. 
I think if they go, if Minnesota walks down and they go up 21 to 10 at halftime, then they think, I think it gets interesting because even with Ohio State coming out in the first drive of the second half and you know going deep very early, I think it was a one-play drive at that for a touchdown pass, you're still down 21 to 7 and you're climbing an uphill battle. But they didn't do that, and, and thanks to Cody Simon, they go into the half only down 14 They tried, though. They tried. They tried. They, they, they took did. a deep shot right before the sack mm-hmm. that – yeah. Was not that far away from hitting. Yeah, I, I thought actually it didn't work. If it would have yeah, worked, yeah, yeah. Uh, if so it would, I mean, they were at midfield basically. If it would have worked, that would have been quite a freaking momentum swing. Yeah, because Minnesota would have gone in up twenty-one ten. So maybe that's a better way to put it. They were aggressive. They just didn't execute in their aggressiveness. So then Cody Simon comes the next play and he gets the sack, and Ohio State just to, gets to live another day and go in the halftime down fourteen to ten. I thought there was another missed opportunity for Minnesota earlier in the game, but I know why it. The, early in the game, it was third and two. Ohio State brought seven guys up to the line because, and and in that, if you had had your quarterback on the field, you could have audibled into something. You could have made a call there, I think, and I would have thrown the ball there if I was Minnesota. Instead, but in, they didn't because they had the Wildcat package in there, so they just ran and didn't get it. And yeah. and I thought, I mean, if I was a head coach, I would build a giant catapult. That would be like part of my package. That how you have to pay to hire me because as soon as my offensive coordinator brought me in the wildcat plays i would put him on it and launch him into the sun you wouldn't put the catapult on the field it's not the wild no it would be at the facility yeah yeah yeah. because like you'd bring him into the and i'd be like oh that's a great play can hey do you want to come out and take a look at this catapult it's you gotta have it in the background when you're doing job job interviews yeah, I, well, I well no. If, <laughs> I, oh, I have said that before. Like, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't launch him in the sun at the interview. But the interview would be over when you brought me your wildcat plays. I, because I, I thought if you just like put the catapult in the backfield and like you put like your like running back him. on the catapult and <laughs> shoot him over the line, <laughs> no, I don't think that's allowed on third and two. That would work. No, it was a, a completely punitive catapult. So again, we're we're just trying to tell you how how close this game did feel at one point because again, Minnesota's ahead at the half. Ohio State comes out. And marches right down the field, scores on the Olave 38-yard touchdown pass. But then Minnesota comes right back and answers and retakes the lead at 21-17. And then Ohio State goes three and out on like a weird drive where they started it off that that um, Mayan Williams tried to bounce one outside. His worst run of the night, tried to bounce outside, went nowhere. And then incompletion, and then that was the third and 12 when C.J. Stroud tried to run and, and got six yards and got nowhere, and they had to punt. The next drive, so Minnesota now has the ball back in the second half, up 21-17. They're marching. One of the offensive linemen just pushes Tommy Eichenberg over the pile at the end of a play, and it's a 15-yard yep. penalty. That's and on huge. second and 22, they give it to Ibrahim, and he runs 16 yards. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, they got it back in a big chunk, but they had a holding Hold. penalty yep. on it. And so now it's second and 30. And if, I mean, again, it's an unnecessary personal foul and a holding penalty on a big run. But if Minnesota, like, has a chance to do something there, they they get the ball back and they're driving. And instead, they have two back-to-back penalties. They wind up punting. Ohio State gets the ball back. First play, Garrett Wilson touchdown pass. Minnesota gets the ball back. Strip sack, mm-hmm. defensive score, and like then they're rolling. But that's sort of like the edge that the Buckeyes were on at one point. I think it's also worth asking if Ibrahim's injury changed the complexion of this game. I, he, I don't think we've seen an update on the severity of that injury. It did not look good. Uh, it was a non-contact thing where he's just running and it turns his ankle and it something seemed to snap or pop. Hopefully not. 
it was kind of sickening because he was playing so well. I mean, I was really impressed, really, with the way that he ran the ball for a lot of this game. I, I came in with maybe a little bit um, you know, respecting the numbers he'd put up, but wondering if it was how much of it was a product of an offense and how much of it was just like his natural talent. And I thought you saw like some flashes of what he can do tonight. And then to see him go down was uh, it's just unfortunate. 30 carries for 163 yards. 5.4 yards per carry and two touchdowns, but there was just enough explosive runs. There were mm-hmm. some runs where it was two yards, but there was when you get the ball 30 times, that typically means there's going to be just enough explosive runs for you to make something happen, which is where J.K. was in 2019. Every run wasn't for 20 yards. He'd have some bad runs, but then he'd offset it by having a 25-yard touchdown. He was injured on the second to last play of the third quarter, but then Minnesota, they did. They ended up getting a field goal on the drive when he was injured. They continued on without him. That field goal cuts to 31-24. And then again, without him, they answer Ohio State's Trayvon Henderson touchdown with a touchdown drive. So, yeah, I think it did matter. Um, but Ohio State scored touchdowns. We're talking about that drive where they went three and out in the second half. They scored touchdowns on four of their five right. drives. I mean, again, half. it's it's that, that 75-yard nine-play drive that Minnesota happened came right after the 70-yard Trevon Henderson touchdown uh, screen pass, and then like they scored, so they go on that touchdown drive that takes however long it took, four minutes, and then Ohio State had like a two-play scoring drive, the right. 14-yard run, and then the 61-yard pass to Olave. So I mean, the explosive—it was exactly what we kind of thought it would be. We didn't expect the score to get this high, but we thought this was going to be a uh, Minnesota's got some talent. They got a big offensive line. They got a good running back. They're going to grind out some yards. Their offense is probably the best defense, and then Ohio State will just be too explosive when it has the ball, and that's what happened. We'll wrap it up with what Nathan just mentioned. Our under went over. Sorry. <laughs> uh, under looked good for a while. We were right to stay away. Tell you to stay away from the fourteen because it just pushed. Right. We all, we all ended up taking that Ohio State would win by more than 14, but we were all in range on this. We, we thought it was like a 17- to 20-point game, and it wound up being a 14-point game. 64-and-a-half, uh, um, and it was the over-under that when we talked about it on the pregame show, and it went to 76. So This guy was really excited when it was 14-10 to 10 at halftime. This guy I thought was like, it was just money in the bank. I did say at one point the game would be 21-17. to 17. I just thought it would be the other way. That was a high score in the second half. Huh? <laughs> it's like all the defense went out the window. 35-17. That's about what you and I were picking for the final score, and that's what it was just for the second half. Yeah. No, my, yeah. No, you're right. In the rain. It just got away like that. It just, you know, which, which is dangerous with Ohio State. It's like, I mean, hey, you take a couple, take away a couple 70-yard touchdown passes by Ohio State, and this is a completely different game. It's like, right. oh, except that's what they do all the time yeah. against Everyone, which is going to be, it was like the final analysis of this is like, it just feels like they still against almost anybody, which like, and that might be like anybody that's not Bama, Clemson, Georgia, which might be the three best defenses in the country. It feels like they have four guys on the field most of the time that are all capable of scoring a 70 yard touchdown the very next time the ball is snapped. And that is a heck of a way to play football. It is. But I, man, I really think, I, I think the challenge on defense really ramps up this next game. I mean, Oregon's got, we, we talked about it earlier when we talked over the summer. Like, Oregon has – you can look across their defense. The talent equates defensively with Ohio State. This might be a better defense than Ohio State has. Thibodeau's got to get home, which is a crazy thing to say about a guy who might be the number one pick in the draft. But this offensive line had no problems today. We didn't talk about the offensive line at all, but I think, Steven, it's because it just felt like they did their job. Yeah. And so if they're just going to do their job all year – 
It doesn't matter because CJ is going to have enough time back there to find guys open. We know these wide receivers are going to get open, and this is going to be what it is. We, we did talk about the offensive line without talking about the offensive line. We talked about the offensive line on those deep shots that CJ Stroud was able to connect on because mm-hmm. he had all the time in the world. We talked about the offensive line when Mayan Williams is breaking off long runs because that's who created him. I mean, we talked about the offensive line without naming him. There were a lot of holes, a lot of times when it was like, man, that was a big hole. And then it's like you go to watch the replay, and it's like, how did that hole get so big? And it's like, oh. Harris Johnson. (laughs) So um, I do think the Ohio State receivers will not run quite as wide open next week. There are going to be some guys in the Oregon secondary that have a better chance of trying to stay with Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson than the Minnesota guys had tonight. They just didn't have much of a chance. All right. That's long. It's late. We appreciate you guys listening. Make sure you're reading cleveland.com slash OSU and be a great time to try the texts at 614-350-3315. For Nathan Baird and Stephen Means, I'm Doug Maurice. Buckeyes win 45-31 in the season opener at Minnesota, and that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.